I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Anthony Stephen Malone, paratrooper, CIA agent, author, speaker and patron of international charities. Conservatively, what I've been informed by senior members of the Central Intelligence Agency was that we were able to help stop over 100 attacks on coalition, coalition forces in Iraq, Afghanistan. We were also able to stop major attacks outside of the Middle East, in the homeland, in America, and in the United Kingdom. Some of this was written into a report, and it was given to Colonel Bob Stewart, also a member of British Parliament. He walked the report and members on my team into the Ministry of Defence. They were debriefed, everything was actioned, and the attacks never took place in England. Anthony saved thousands of innocent people being killed. He spent three years in a Taliban prison risking his life as he uncovered the location of Bin Laden and attacks on Western locations, including a planned attack on Buckingham Palace. So I'm not the sort of person who's just gonna like lay down and be killed. That is not happening. So if I've got a problem, doesn't matter how many of them there is on the other side, I'll go directly to the problem. Um, which obviously I did. I think Saladin was that taken back that I had the, the courage to walk past all of his men. Some of them were sharpening knives at the time. Um, he actually in, invited me into his cell and we sat with his other commanders and we drank chai tea. He was eventually extracted from Afghanistan and thrown into a prison in England for being a terrorist. Through his book and speaking on stage, Anthony tells his story. Anthony, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I've been looking forward to meeting you since we had our chat a few a few weeks ago, or it was about a month ago now. But thank you for coming all this way, being right. in my home in Richmond. It's, it it's lovely to do this face-to-face. -face. It's nice to actually do an interview after all the COVID. It so is. this is our interviews, I suppose, to be in it. It is. Anthony, before we get going on your story, which is absolutely, I mean, it's inspiring, it's amazing, it's... Uh, I, I'm literally, literally lost for words when I read about you. Can you tell my audience who you are and what you do now? Yeah, um, full name, Anthony Stephen Malone. I'm a fifth-generation soldier in the, in the British military. I worked as a agent for the Central Intelligence Agency for quite some time. I'm now retired. I also was a embedded combat photographer with 101st Airborne, which was under the command of David Petraeus in Iraq. I now use my experiences and I help a veteran organization that I've, I've helped start up called Patriot. And we help veterans in crisis, the family and the children, both in the United Kingdom and across the United States. Wow. I want to delve more at the end into the charity and what you do there. But before we get to that point, we've, we've got to talk about your story and what a hell of a story it is. Can you tell me your journey and how you ended up? Well where you got to, well, how you got to, where you got to yeah, today. It's, um, it's quite interesting, actually. It was a sequence of events that no one could have actually planned. I ended up in Iraq 2002-2003 t t 
with the uh, with the American Helitry, um, embedded combat photographer, 101st Airborne Division, and I met a lot of people there from American intelligence, including members of the Central Intelligence Agency the, and the FBI as well. Um, I was asked to do a couple of low-level tasks, and nothing exciting or anything. It was just, can we try and find information on the ground on high-value targets, terrorist safe houses. Uh, objective was to stop um, the attacks, the ID attacks, and suicide attacks on coalition forces in Iraq. I was fortunate enough to be able to come across some of the information because I spent a lot of time on the ground, many years on the ground in Iraq and in Syria as well. Information fed back, attacks were stopped, lives were saved. And that was that was the the end of that. I ended up in Afghanistan as well, and I ended up another unusual um, set of circumstances. I was working with and for American intelligence for some years. Then I ended up in prison in Afghanistan because I made a stand against Assad Abdullah, who was the former governor of Kandahar. And I stood against him and gave evidence against him to get him removed from his post because one, he, we can say this now because it's public knowledge, he was dealing in narcotics in the dr drugs trade. He was one of the key people over in Afghanistan in the heroin trade. He was also selling the locations of British, Canadian and American safe houses where SF troops were located. He was selling that information to the t Taliban. Um, and I wasn't happy about that. So I gave evidence against him, got him re removed. But unknown to me, Afghanistan, back in 2006-2007. Um, now we know, basically, it's a failed state. It's very co corrupt. Where someone should have been removed from the post, his partner was President Karzai's brother at the time in the drugs trade. So he got promoted to upper parliament. So instead of being sacked, he actually got promoted and given more power. He put an allegation personally against me for absolutely whatever he wants to make it up. I ended up in prison. Everyone knows you pay a bribe in Afghanistan yeah, and you walk you out of jail. Yeah. Um, but what shocked me was on entering the prison system, I spotted some high-value targets, senior terrorist commanders, hiding in plain sight under different names in the Afghan prisons system. Now, this wasn't just any prison, was it? No. This was This one was Polishaki, maximum security prison, Afghanistan, which is voted one of the, in the top 10, most violent and most dangerous prisons in, in the world. So you were in there to serve three months. That must have originally that must yeah. have frightened you well, up uh, at the time hmm. how did that three months end up to be three years well this is interesting one i wouldn't pay a bribe to get released and it got to the point where i didn't want to get pulled out of there because Can I just repeat that yeah. you didn't want to no. be pulled out no not at that point because what happened was we had stumbled we had already known there was a network inside of Polishaki, but nobody from outside could get, get access. So some of the work I was doing before I was in there, Polishaki came up on the, on 
the River Raider. What we found out when I was in there was a suicide bombing network by Talib Jan was being run from inside maximum security. They had their own operations room. Satellite phones, cell phones, radios, computers. They were running the Yakani network and part of the Taliban suicide bombing network from inside a British mentored jail, which obviously this gets very political now because no one knew what was going on. A bit hard to believe back in 2006, 2007, truth always comes out in the end, it's all out there now. People know who Talib Chan is, he's admitted he was running the network. Salahuddin and his entire operational crew was also in there. Now let's just, just, just so the audience knows, who's mm. was Salahuddin, because I know you got very close to him. Yeah, very close to Salahuddin. The Salahuddin now is the head of the Akani network. He is the director of operations and tactics for the Taliban. And it was Salahuddin who signed the peace deal in, in Afghanistan. A lot of people, he flew under the radar. A lot of British intelligence had no idea who he was or the information they had on him was inaccurate. They, some of the reports I've even read, official reports, where they thought he was five foot seven, uneducated, not really the um, sort of person who can make a commander. They got that very, very wrong. He was six foot two, multilingual. He, he holds qualifications in engineering and he is a natural born commander because his father was the former head of the Akani network before he died. The Akani network, so your viewers understand, is the, the main terrorist organization that predates Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. It's very old, very connected worldwide. While I was in, inside Polish Shaki, there was, there was talk about me being executed by the Taliban, by Salahuddin's men. Uh, I wasn't very happy about this. So I walked through the prison, up the Al-Qaeda corridor to Saladin's cell and said to him, if you want to kill me, you do it yourself. You do not send anyone else. I mean, what what went through your mind as you were doing that? That can't have been an easy move. That was the uh, dumbest thing I've I ever done. I was going to say, some <laughs> yeah. people would say, that's yeah. probably not the smartest thing to do, going into a sharks, basically a shark, a tank full of sharks. Yeah. What, why, what was going for you, man? What did you want to obviously achieve in, in this? Objective moment? was, um, this goes back to who I actually am. I served in the British Parachute Regiment in three power and four power. To be a paratrooper, it takes a different kind of a in, in, individual. To throw yourself out, for, out of a perfectly serviceable aircraft as well, um, it, it takes a certain calibre of man. So I'm not the sort of person who's just going to like lay down and be killed. That is not happening. So if I've got a problem, it doesn't matter how many of them there is on the other side, I'll go directly to the problem, um, which obviously I did. I think Saladin was that taken back that I had the courage to walk past all of his men. Some of them were sharpening knives yes. at the time. Um, he actually in, invited me into his cell and we sat with his other commanders and we drank chai tea 
you had a cup of tea with one of the biggest terrorists. I mean, th yeah. this is the stuff movies are made of. Yeah, and I have video footage of the later of me and Salat Adin in Polish Jackie talking and obviously communicating. So what, what did you tell him? What was your story? Because you were there under, yeah. undercover, really. Undercover, but it was a calculated risk. I knew the Akani Network's intelligence infrastructure is incredible, um, a lot better than what people think. I took the risk of telling him that I was a former member of the Parachute Regiment. I was a British soldier inside, and fortunately, he already knew because he took out of his, his pocket the reason why I was to be executed that day was he already knew he'd been told. So that was a very clever move on your behalf, because you could have told him... Calculated. Calculated. Yeah. Because yeah. in theory, if, if you're put in that position, I guess, and I've never been in that position, never want to be, but I would have thought, uh, uh, you know, some innocent sort of lag would have been better than telling the truth considering what where you know you were not with him at that point wow. i was a calculated Great risk list. i thought i'll just play 99 percent. i missed out the little detail that i was working for the americans and i was close to 101st airborne and the central command leadership i thought it's going to be very difficult for them to find that out the reason why i am at my my suspicions i would already know about me being from a british military was the interpreters in the British Embassy at that time were on the payroll of Salahuddin and the Taliban. So the embassy interpreters that were going into official meetings with the consulate, vice consulate and the ambassador, they were on the payroll of Salahuddin. Because later I found out how they're getting paid, what bank they're getting paid, the bank account numbers and everything. Wow. So, I mean, so you, you took this risk, you told the truth, essentially, yeah. minus a few details. But in that same light, you gained his trust yeah. by saying that. There was a lot of other things that happened inside the actual jail. One of the things that really gained our trust was there was more Taliban than Haqqani Network, Al-Qaeda, at that point inside the jail. One afternoon, there was a prison, prison riot and the Taliban tried to kill every member of the Akani network, and they tried to execute Salahuddin as well. Um, that didn't work. When they came into the corridor, me and only careful how I say this, me and Saladin, we stood our ground in the corridor, so their numbers didn't count for anything. Um, that, that gave us enough time to obviously def defend ourselves for the other members of the Akani network to come to our aid, aid as well. How did you defend yourself in prison? Did you have any access to arms? No, or? no. It was just the, hands. But hands. And the bad guys have got a lot of knives, ranging from small knives up to about that, inside the actual jail. Um, we were very fortunate. We got away with that. But Salah Hudin took that because I did not run. I stood by his side. If we had run, all of us would have been killed anyway. Yeah. So again, it was a calculated... calculated so again, you're, you're gaining this guy's trust yeah, on multiple yeah. levels, not only... After that, yeah. yeah. After that, that was absolute, yeah. basically, yeah. And passed on fully, which is the honour code. I was not to be touched by anybody inside that jail because I was his official guest. At, at, wow. After that as well. And how so? How did your time after that 
in this awful prison? In fact, what was yeah. the prison like? The, the prison itself. Imagine hell on earth. Sounds like by turning you halfway there. We had rats and spiders that you wouldn't believe in there. Uh, people were killed every day in there. People were murdered in there every day as well. No human rights, um, no... No. It was literally, well, it's in like one of the worst prisons in, in the world. To, so to actually survive in there, all I had to do from a, from a men mentality point of view was every day inside, was a British American ISF soldier going home because it was an attack. I was able to actually stop by collecting information, copying notebooks, cloning telephone SIM cards. Uh, if I was caught doing any of this, I would have been head, yeah. head would have come straight off. So a three month tasking actually lasted for three years. So we've got that much in from it. it was an absolute treasure, treasure to trove. Um, I mean, I'm gobsacked. I'm not often left speechless, but you know, you might be able to have got through a a day, a week, mm. maybe a month at a push, but three years yeah. is is a long time. Mm. I mean, at any stage, did you just think oh, I want to get the hell out of here? No, my actual team had organised an extraction with off-duty members of British and American Special Forces, they were going to break into the prison, get me out, get me to a neutral country. It was all planned. It was all ready to go. Yeah. When they came in to see me, they had suspected I was working, but they weren't sure what I was working on. Mm. When they came in to see me, they told me to be in the courtyard at a certain day and a certain time, and I would be extracted. I turned around and I said, I really appreciate what you've, what you've done. I said, but the answer now is no. Do not come and get me. Do not interfere with this. I cannot tell you everything at this time, but the risk is worth it. I said, because we're very close to something that I'd been asked to actually get. That was, I was not if I could, would I be willing to, by a member of American Intelligence, get the location of Osama bin Laden in oh. Pakistan. The reason why we had access to information was Salahuddin's father was alive at the time and he was the senior mentor and advisor to bin Laden himself. That is now fact and the FBI has released documents confirming that. I sat with Salahuddin's father inside the prison for many hours. So you put your life on the line for, for, for more time inside. For the greater discover, good. For yeah. the greater good and yeah. to discover the location, yeah. basically. And we did. We got, the, we got the location now, but we got a lot more. You say you got a lot more. What, what, what else? We um, were conservatively, what I've been informed by senior members of the Central Intelligence Agency was that we were able to help stop over 100 attacks on coalition, coalition forces in Iraq, Afghanistan. We were also able to stop major attacks outside of the Middle East, in the homeland, in America, and in the United Kingdom. Some of this was written into a report, and it was given to Colonel Bob Stewart, also a member of British Parliament. 
He walked the report and members of my team into the Ministry of Defence. They were debriefed, everything was actioned, and the attacks never took place in England. So you saved thousands of lives, not yeah, just yeah. the location of Bin Laden, but you saved... The Bin Laden thing was quite, quite, was, was quite small because he's just the figurehead. Yeah. It was the underlings, the people under him who were his advisors, his, who ran his military operations, his intelligence network. They were the ones that we wanted to, to actually get. So all of the notebooks, all the information, all the, the hundreds of phone numbers that we were able to get, we passed all of that on to the Americans. Oh gosh, Anthony, I, I mean, I'm, I want to thank you on behalf of everyone as well, I'm sure that's listening, you know, who knows could it, who, who could have been killed in those terrorist attacks. And certainly at that time, you know, I, I lived in London and it was, it was frightening just to, uh, mm get on tubes, walk in the streets, um, yeah. and so thank you. I think it was, um, yeah, but I think viewers have got to realise, to me this wasn't a job, it was very personal, because I lost 28 of my friends had been killed to that point. Obviously I took that personal, and when the Akani Network and the, the Al-Qaeda blew up Camp Ch Chapman, that was the biggest single loss of life in one hit that the CIA has had for a long, long time. And I lost some good friends on that day. So I didn't need any more motivation. But I was, I was concerned. Ben Laden was dead, he just didn't, oh yeah. But did you have any, did you realize that you were, obviously you must have realized your own life was at risk. Hmm. Did that play a part in your mental um, strength and getting oh, through yeah. it? Oh yeah, yeah, it was, um, I never expected to walk out of there alive. I pushed so you it. thought you were going to die? I was going to die, yeah. There was no two ways about that. I should have been killed so many times. Um, but it's the fact of I was quite comfortable in myself knowing that I was going to be killed. So I thought, typical parachute regiment mentality. Mm. We're meant to be surrounded. There was me with 5,000 bad guys every day. Uh, even then, I liked my odds. So I thought, right, I can take as many of you guys out as I possibly can, save as many lives as I can before you guys get to me. But it was a very dark mentality. Yeah. And you got to realise at the time, the parachute regiment and the Royal Marines and the British forces were in Helmand. And we were getting slaughtered in Helmand. One day we lost six British soldiers in one day. 101st Airborne was in eastern Afghanistan. Again, these are my brothers in arms. These are my close friends. We were losing guys every day. And I was in a position where I knew who was coordinating all the attacks. And we were actually able to make a big difference the longer I was actually in there. The problem was, because the British were not aware of any of this until years after, they thought I'd actually turned. So the British Embassy and the Foreign Office, I don't have a problem with the establishment, just a couple of people within the establishment were not doing their, their job correctly, who are now being re removed. They now no longer work for the British government. But they had branded me a tra traitor. They had released on multiple sources 
that I had never served in the British Army. I'm a fifth generation soldier and I am very well known in the parachute regiment. So that was a really silly thing for the FCO to try mm. and do. They then tried to crucify my personal name and reputation. And this is all while you're in, um, yeah. in while I was prison, in risking your life yeah. and giving details yeah. um, of, of and saving yeah. potential attacks on the Western world and against yeah. forces over there. And on as the well. British Embassy. And on the British Embassy. I stopped a huge truck bomb by Talib Jan being driven into the British Embassy in Kabul, which would have flattened the embassy. I mean, I want to go back to your, that mindset that you said that, that you had from the powers as well, and yeah. that this is what made you different. You, you were thinking about your brothers in arms, yeah. your friends that yeah. had lost their lives. Mm. And to you, you were like, it, it's, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like your life didn't matter as long as you could help as many other people. That, that's, um, I don't know if I was hearing that right, or you, yeah. weren't, you weren't fearful of your own death. Any British soldier, any paratrooper, I think would have done exactly the same as me. Because you have an opportunity to save one of your brother's lives, you take it. And if it costs you a that is a fair one. Is that something they teach you in the Paris, or is that something you're born with? Honestly, I don't know. But because I come from the family I do, mm. my great-granddad, my granddad, my father, my uncles, my cousins, we've all, we've all served. So to us, service and being a patriot isn't a punchline. It's in our d DNA. Mm. I will bleed on our flag to keep it red. That is not a problem. But with me being a patriot, and I got on very well with the Americans, I think their commanders, they could see that in me from a very early on. And I always went above and beyond to do my job as well. Personal risk, if I was killed, if I was blown up and shot, that's just the job. Fortunately and luckily, I was one of the ones who made it made it back so you did make it back yeah. let's talk about that because yeah. you were taken out of prison i was renditioned the first person in history to be renditioned from afghanistan and brought back to england so you weren't extradited that that there is a difference there what's the difference then between extradite is where you have due process where you've got an option of appealing rendition is you put in chains and shackled and then you are put onto a plane and brought back to a country. When I got sent to the airport, my instructions were, I am only to be pulled out by the Americans if three separate sources confirm I've been rumbled and I was about to be executed. Three, not one, three separate independence sources. Okay. So I didn't intend on coming out from there. Because we'd got Bin Laden, but there was something so else we were working on. Oh, yeah. yeah, I even had on my on my being when special branch because they weren't figuring it out. Because my first thing was, uh, is the American RSO aware of me being pulled out of Polishaki? Or the Brits were like, well, why would the Americans need to know? I said because the RSO is the CIA station chief. Here's his personal mobile number, 
ring him, I need to speak to him. So I got hold of the hours, so I said I've been pulled, I'm on the way back to the UK. I have in my possession on me a black notebook, which you were going to need to have a look at, because it was all the British call signs of patrols that were going to be attacked in the next 24 hours. Wow. And what did they do? And not even at that point did the British government or whoever was you know, with you... The, extradi the extradition unit from Scotland Yard, quote, did not want to hand me over. They went, we have got this very, very wrong, haven't we? And I went, they went, you don't have, because they looked at the notebook, and I went, you've got the CIA station chief's yeah, personal they, they... mobile number, and we've confirmed it's him. What is going on? I so said, I can't speak about it. And were they not able to do it? So when you got back to our shores, were they yeah. not able to help you or do anything about it? Special branch recruited me within two days and said, we need you to go into the British prison system oh to my God. locate, this is the kicker, to locate and infiltrate the suicide recruitment cell working out of Pentonville and High Point. That's the first time I've ever said that on camera. Can you say it again? Yeah, and I've actually spoken to the member of Special Branch who recruited me as well. And we stopped that suicide bomb itself as well. So they, they took you from one prison, one hellhole, yeah. to another hellhole. Yeah. Well, in England, it's like, it's, a hotel. It's, it's like a hotel, isn't it? <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> because they had tried to get information on the re recruitment of ex getting <laughs> extremism within the English prison system, it still is a problem. But then in 2010, it was surfacing as a massive problem. And one of the prisons was a rife recruiting ground for terrorism, for terrorism that they were sending them out to join ISIS in Syria. Because I'd come back as Al-Houdin Saeed Ahmed, as a terrorist commander, they all flocked to me. Hang on, just rewind on that. Mm. So you came back not as Anthony Stephen Malone. As far as the government was concerned, Anthony Stephen Malone and, and Al-Houdin Saeed Ahmed was two different people until I got on that plane. Then when they renditioned me back, the Americans intervened because one of the things I had put in place to protect me was if I am ever pulled by the British government they are going to try and charge me under the Terrorism Act. No doubt about it, they would and they were trying. The American government, and I've seen this correspondence, that, that the Americans contacted Downing Street and intelligence services in Britain and said Anthony Malone a.k.a. Al-Adin Seed Ahmed, is one of our Knox non-official cover operatives. He's been working as a CIA agent or American intelligence agent for many years, and he has saved countless British lives. So that cut that one. I was never charged. I mean, how does that make you feel about our own government? The fact that, you know, you've, you, you risked your life. And, well, not only did you serve in the paratroopers, which, you know, is, is in itself... And now if you're a British citizen, you go over and you risk your life for many years living in awful conditions to save millions, thousands of lives, maybe millions, who knows. Um, how did it make you feel that your own government turned against you? I was a little bit 
wasn't the government that turned against me. It was a couple of members of the establishment that were that embarrassed because I'd gone from being the bad boy to now being undercover CIA agent who's witnessed every single thing in that jail. That's a problem because it was a British mentored jail. So all the, all the torture that was going on, all the underhanded dealings, I actually saw it. I may have photographed some of this. I may have kept audio tapes of every single thing that I witnessed. So I said, I'm not going to go public with this. I could do. I've got every right to go public, but I'm not. I said, reason be being is I'm a patriot of this country. I was upset that you tried to tarnish my name yeah. and my my reputation. Wasn't very happy about that. Did you get an apology? I mean, when all of this sort of came out, and then I got a handshake. Um, you got a handshake. Oh, well, it was basically yeah. Um, then the one of the. How does that change your life? I mean, does it look? You, mm. You're a very humble man, and I, I've spoken to you before this interview today, mm. and I know the great work that you do. Uh, I, not only, I and mean, we haven't even come on to what you do today, mm. but how does it make you feel? Because, you know, you should be a hero. I'm, I'm, I'm not a hero. I will never, ever refer to myself as a hero. I had the honour to work with people who I would call heroes, and they are the nameless people who keep our countries safe, the Americans and the British and Canadians and Australians, and the amount of work that the guys do behind the scenes in the shadows, they are the real heroes. I was just able to get in, get information, save a couple of lives, and that was it. Wow. So. Um, how has it changed you, your perception of life? Actually, not a great deal. Some people who knew me before all this, um, 20 or 30 years ago, have just said, you're older, you're wiser, but you haven't changed. The temperament is still the same. <laughs> and I've lost my big Afghan beard, yeah. My hair was down my back, and beard was down, I, lo I looked the part. It was just like playing a part. You've got to play a part. That's how I was able to focus on it. Because I'm, it was unusual. Um, a set of circumstances presented themselves. We turned it to the greater good. We saved lives, job done, and we moved on. I used the experience. And it was a humbling experience because I've seen the best in humanity and I've seen the worst in humanity. And in, inside active war zones, I've seen some of the greatest acts of kindness ever. Um, and it's very really humbling and I never forget that. We take a lot of things in this country for granted. You've got water you can drink out of a tap. Mm. Everyone's got food in, in the fridge. They can go on holidays. There's a lot of people, good people out there that, that support this country who do not have any, any of that. And now you ha you, you've got charities, is that right, that you support? Well, what we've done is we've, um, we've set up a little group called Patriot. And it's a, it's a private company. And we actually help to raise funds and help awareness for other charities. I'm also the patron of Mal Koshin International. 
helping the children of the Blood Diamonds, Civil War, Civil Lyon, and I'm an ambassador for a few other charities as well and groupings. With, with Patriot, we wanted to help veterans going through a hard time, mm. their families and the children, very important. It isn't just the veteran who's got PTSD that goes through a lot of, a lot of hard time, it's the families as well, and it really affects the children. And you've actually been out on the streets helping, if yeah. I understand. You've actually spent time on the streets, sleeping on the yeah, streets. Yeah, I actually lived as a homeless guy in London for a couple of days and a couple of weeks to actually learn what it would be like for a homeless veteran to be on, be on the streets. Um, I've done all the background due diligence we read, but you can't get a feel for it reading a report. What feeling did you get for it? Very isolated, very lonely, but the homeless veterans have their own little network there. Veterans look after, and what I saw was very humbling. All the veterans taking on younger guys, making sure that they're okay. Like if they had a sandwich, they would half it, make sure the younger guys would, would take them care of as well. So even when you have like a veteran, one of them was in the Royal, Royal Marines. He didn't have any anything, he just had a little bag that was all he owned in the world. And someone had dropped him off a sandwich and a coffee. He instantly halved it with, with, with me as well. When I went back, when they realised I wasn't actually homeless, I was honest with them, I said afterwards, this is, what, this is why I was doing it. We got those guys off the streets into accommodation, into programs. They now have jobs, their own place to live, and they're doing really well for themselves as well. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. You're, you're still serving today after giving you your life, risking your life, being in prison, not only in Afghanistan, but here in England. Yeah. Being on the streets, I mean, Anthony, what an amazing man. Now, do you suffer from PTSD? Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm honest about it. Yeah, about you wouldn't go through everything. I'd be more worried if I didn't. Of like, so everyone has bad days. And how do you um, how do you how do you serve yourself? You know, you serve so many other people. How do you actually serve Anthony? I actually find it's therapeutic for myself to talk to other veterans because I I understand them. Mm. Um, I understand veterans who have been through war. Um, I've lived in some of the darkest places in the world, so I know what it's like, but I'm a strong believer in this. You, you've got two options. You can either let the darkness take over your life and destroy you, or you use the darkness to your advantage and you help other people who are going through that as well. So that is why I actually don't choose my, ex my experiences to, to help other veterans out there. I think that's really prominent what you just said, use the darkness to help others. What are you most proud of? Stopping the suicide bomb attack on Liverpool Football Club. Wow. Because I support Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah, well, Liverpool couldn't have gone through that. another, yeah, yeah, after Hillsborough, they couldn't have faked, oh my God, that would have just been. Yeah, that was, to me, that was a big thing. And when the bad guys were going to try and target a skull, that was the skull of children of serving British soldiers. That To me, that was a line in the sand that doesn't get crossed. And I went, nah, that is not going to happen. So we went above and beyond, used everything at my disposal to actually stop that. And with the help from Colonel Bob Stewart, 
all those attempts were stopped. Amazing. Anthony, now you're just starting to get your story out after all these years. What is your hope? There's like 95% of what I've done and seen we're not allowed to speak about. If people can't get their head around the 5% we are talking about, they wouldn't get their head around. Because this to me wasn't a job, this was my life 24-7 for many, many years. Um, the journey for me started about 2002 um, and I'm still involved in certain aspects of things now. So my objective is for people to read my the, the books, learn from them and be inspired. I love it. Well, I'm certainly inspired and I'm sure others are listening to your story. What's next, Anthony? We've got some projects that are on the go all over the world right now and they are helping. Okay. a lot of veterans and the children and we also do a little bit of a um, little bit of work on the human trafficking side of things but i'll leave that for now i think so that's our next episode, that's our next episode. to be with you my final question it's been such a pleasure i could talk to you all day definitely if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find what would the message be that message would be believe in yourself, believe in your abilities, get out there and live, live your life to the actual fall. That That's what I would write in a bottle. Anthony Stephen Malone, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. It's been amazing. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you as well. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.